We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast with me, your host Tim Stillman, stepping in for Elliot Smith. We don't know why he's ducked this episode, but he was uh, sporting a crowbar and he said something about going to see a guy called Mo. Um, so I, I don't really know what that's about. I haven't really joined up the dots um, there. And he said something about a guy called Trent as well. I, don't, I really don't know what he was babbling about, but he had... Um, he had a steel crowbar and he said he had to see a couple of guys called Mo and Trent. So I am stepping in to the presenting chair while he takes care of that business, whatever it is. Uh, obviously, Arsenal have got a massive game coming up on Sunday against Liverpool. We had a very big game against Nottingham Forest on Tuesday. We will meld those concepts and talk about both of those games. But with the Forest game, because we did the instant reaction, because it was 48 hours ago now, as we record, we, we'll go like quite big picture and not pick out the incidents and pick the bones out of the Forest game and obviously we'll look ahead to the Liverpool game on Sunday and obviously today as we record is transfer deadline day and obviously it's very very busy there's so much happening we can hardly keep up with it all um, I believe Runison is gone um, we'll probably do a special Patreon pod on Runnison um, and, and the Arsenal legacy that he leaves. Uh, speaking of Patreon content, for those of you who haven't seen it, we have the Clive Palmer Director of Football episode up on our Patreon. So for those of you who don't know, essentially each of us, and I haven't had my turn yet, uh, is going to play Director of Football and we're going to talk a little bit about squad building, who would sell, where we'd buy, etc, etc. So the episode with Clive is up on Patreon. And speaking of Clive... I'm joined by Paul, who you can follow on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woo-hoo. Can't wait for my shot at director of football. It, yeah, as someone who is neurodivergent, I don't think that episode's going to go very well for me. Um, but I am joined by Clive, who you can follow on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. 
And uh, yeah, I, I've got more ideas for that director of football stuff. <laughs> I've, got, I've got other lists. <laughs> I did three lists, I completely smashed the format as is uh, normal, but I've got others. So um, yeah, I may, <laughs> I may send them out. Do your other ideas involve uh, never work with Elliot Smith if I am indeed promoted to director of football at Arsenal? <laughs> I'm not taking his rubbish when it comes to wages and transfer fees. <laughs> what does he know? <laughs> so uh, we had a good battle, good fun. Indeed, indeed. Right. So let's start with um, some of the bigger picture stuff, I guess, emerging from the Nottingham Forest game on Tuesday night, which we won 2-1. Maybe a a few kind of bigger themes, bigger threads to pull at. And Paul, I'm going to start with you on this one. Now, Elliot put to me in the last podcast the question, how many games do you see Emil Smith-Rowe starting for the rest of the season? And I said, I said one, and (laughs) that quota has now been used up because Emil Smith Rowe (laughs) started at Nottingham Forest. And I do think there's something slightly interesting here in certain types of away game. We started Vieira at Everton, we started Trossard in that position at Brentford, we started Smith Rowe there for this game and they're all fairly similar types of opponent and I do think there's perhaps something about playing a more ball dominant guy in that role ahead of Havertz for certain types of away game but for you Paul first of all how surprised if if at all were you to see Smith Rowe in the starting lineup and for you what, do you think this is perhaps the beginning of a revival do you not think it's a revival at all and perhaps it was all fitness based all this time and this is him edging his way back in or or is this one last geyser in the desert uh so it's just fascinating right it's just fascinating because what is it what has it been what was going on he was this force for us it was him and saka and uh, then, yeah, injuries, but it doesn't really explain. It's just this big, vague question mark. Uh, I mean, I have here's my little theory for based on nothing very much. Saka, as I kind of said before, is kind of an old man. Even when he was 19, 20, 20, he's just very wise. Like, I remember when I was 21, 22, 23, I was a kid. I was a I fool. Don't. I was an idiot. I did 19, 20, 21 and properly, so I don't remember them at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was, a, I was a fool. I was an idiot. You see them eating their chips in the canteen, they're ch- you know, the two of them on, uh, in the uh, all or nothing, and they're like, they're like, wouldn't it be cool if, if today we scored a goal, you and me? And it's all this, like, kid stuff. And, like, one of them was a kid and one of them was an old man. I think... Emil Smith-Rowe, he's had his challenges with fitnesses, this, that, and the other, and been out of it. And, and like, he's probably a bit of a kid, a good guy. Nothing, you know, he was Mr. Mars Bars and, like, I've learned I should eat my vegetables. And, like, I just think we look at the two of them, maybe assume it's, it's pretty close in terms of maturity. Emil Smith-Rowe is probably a bit of a kid. And Arteta, like, We've seen with the academy kids, he's not letting you on the pit. It's not Arsene Wenger days. He's not He's not going to sheep dip you. He's not going to let you onto the pit. There are no soft entries except for the whole... E- you could talk about the Ethan Wanieri thing, but I think that was a specific time and situation. We lost players to Chelsea Academy. I wouldn't be surprised if Pear walked around with... Uh, uh, you know, the, the crew and said, look, we need a solid here. 
get the bu- we need to send a signal to the academy. It was a one-off. Give us five minutes because the, there's been nothing like it. Like even on the summer tours, he doesn't. He's like, this is for grown-ups. This is the grown-up. You walk across this. You can train with us. And like if you're a kid in the academy or 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 coming through the ranks, training with these guys. We're now at a level where it's an honor to train up against these guys. That's enough for you. It wasn't before. Like, it was a ragtag bunch of guys in the first team and the squad and the kids would come. Now there's a line you cross. And so I think Emil Smith-Rowe falls in a very unique place. Talented, much more experienced than the academy kids. Blooded, has a bit of a, a resume behind him. But did not yet have the mature... We've seen it with Nuno, right? We've seen it with other players where they're just not at... Uh, not just football talent-wise, at professional-grade level of how you carry yourself in a squad. So I think it's stuff in that area because he's got the talent. Now, to your original question, will we see him more than once? No idea, but God, I hope so. He's talking about him in terms of how serious and professional and how... Like, those are the things you want to hear. And look... Like, if he gets it right, if Smith Rowe comes in, and we've seen a little bit of this with other players, comes in and contributes and is a real impactor in the second half of the season, look at the message it sends across the squad, up and down the the football side of the organization that says, we demand the top. You can't come in and get experience with us. You can't come in and, you know, you're a kid on the way up and we're going we're gonna to give you an attaboy. You join the first team, you step on that pitch with those guys when you are ready, when you are serious, when you're professional, when you've done your work to get there. And so what, that's what I hope it means. I think if he gets on the pitch once, which he has just, look at all the other times he could have got a freebie, a, a start here or there. I think this is a sign that will there will be more games. And you make me laugh when you say about the, Elliot always does this shit about, uh, I think he'll get zero minutes for the rest of the season and then i bite and i go nuts and i have a bet with them and i lose so uh, <laughs> i'm glad i missed out on this one but scott and i had an argument about uh, debate discussion about nelson and smith row and i'm mm-hmm. like nelson's much more trusted than smith row this was early fairly early in the season and uh, scott pointed out actually they've they've been used basically the same amount and i Absolutely no, they have not. I had the, in my mind that Arteta was still starting to trust Nelson, but he, in reality, he hadn't really. Turned out Nelson had 33 minutes, and Smithrow had 11 minutes at that point. It was probably like eight games into the season. And I'm like, you see, he trusts him three times as much. So it's been a very... It, we're starting to see Nelson come into the picture, and maybe now it's calmed down a bit. We're seeing Smithrow with a serious start. Okay, it's... Nottingham Forest, but it's a critical game away from home, and he absolutely needed a performance, and he trusted him. I think Smith Rowe was pretty good. Yeah, I I think like there's so much, Clive, that's interesting about this because as Paul said, we're just missing a whole load of information. Like as yeah. far as we're concerned, Smith Rowe was in the team, he had some injuries, and we never saw him again, and we don't really know why. And so you know, I I. I still think I would surmise that there was a loss of faith in him. I don't think we sign certainly not Vieira and Trossard. 
um, in, unless there was like real faith in Smith Road. But at the same time, we don't really have very much. But then what you could do, you could go the other way and say, well, what we've got now is he's got a Premier League start, as Paul said, in a big game that we had to win, which goes for all Premier League games now. And we know that the question about whether he was sold last summer, the club said no chance, no way. About whether he goes out on loan in January, we know the club said absolutely no way, he stays. So there has been a conviction to keep him. I think the other interesting thing is, though, this summer he's going to have two years left on his contract. So I do feel like we are coming to a stick or twist point with Smithrow. How did you interpret, if anything, the fact that he was started in this game? Or do you just think it was Vieira wasn't fit? We kind of wanted to save Havertz for Liverpool. Do you think there's a lot to read into this? Yeah, I'm. I'm not a dreamer when it comes to uh, Smith Rowe. Uh, I'm uh, the player that we broke into the team doesn't even play in the same position any longer. But yet we still wanted to play. There you go. He should play. So our memories, positionally, it's not even the same position, right? So, um, so now he's become more of an interior rather than playing on the outside and dashing up and down the left wing. Where for a period he was literally our best forward. Remember that period around the Burnley game? Remember that nil nil draw when he when he was hot, we were hot. He was that good in that period. I think we came fifth that season. So I, I've seen the, the heights, the Villa game when he scored against Villa on that night game. I've seen it. I've seen when he's been that really fiery player that we weren't sure if he was ahead or behind Martinelli. He was a 50-50 toss up. That isn't the player we have today. Physically, he looks different. Um, and the system we play is a little bit is a little bit different, and he seems to be more suited on the inside of the pitch. I do think when we brought Trossard in, I don't think anyone complained because we were looking at a a, a wide forward ish anyway. In in Mudrick, we end up we end up with Trossard, so that seemed to be a gap. Vieira came out of the blue, but I always felt Vieira was for the right side of the pitch rather than the left side of the pitch, so I didn't see it as a complete mirror. I think Trossard is the one that's closest to him in profile. And Trossard has delivered. And to be fair, Smithrow, the reason why I don't get over the top on it is the one thing we don't know is the injury history, the record, the true detail of what he went through and how they tried to manage that. You know, you see Vieira's had an operation recently. Sometimes I feel Arsenal do not want to operate too soon. They want to try everything else and then operate. And while we're watching them play, it may be in pain. We're judging them in pain, and it may not be a fair judge. You know, so I'm very conscious not to judge him. Um, he played against Sheffield United and and not in the Forest. Yet. There is two starts this season. What what's unique about those two teams? They're probably two of the lower block teams. We say Brentford, and we're going to have the ball. And he is an on the ball player. And, and those are sort of games, there are plenty of those games for us in the Premier League now. Hence why I think he has value in these scenarios. And I think he has value in the higher level contest as a finisher, who's quite secure on the ball and he can run through teams. So my, my summarization is I trust the club on this one because I think a lot of it's to do with injury and injury recovery. And what we don't know is how he trains and what he's, what he's producing his numbers. I'm pleased to see him come back to the, the squad and be connected. And I look at him and say, we may have found a player 
that we can use. And I think that's the message. We have found a player we can use. And if I'm Smith Rowe, I'm saying, trust us 29.30. I can do what he can do. I need to show you I can stay fit like he stays fit. I need to show you I can do assists like he does. I need to be maybe second or third off the bench like he is. That's my next step. If I can do that, then you can sell Trossard. And I'm a homegrown player and I have real value for you. Then you can recontract me, say, Christmas time, well, what, 18 months to go, and off we go. If I'm him, that's my goal. And then once I get to Trossard's level, I want to get into that team. I've got to push people hard. Uh, maybe I've got to play false nine on occasions as well as left eight and maybe right eight. You know, who's to say the captain's untouchable on occasions? So there's a role here for him. And I don't think we should be throwing away an English player without seeing him healthy for at least a year, a full calendar year. We haven't seen that yet. And if he doesn't do it this calendar year, we can make a decision maybe this time next year. Either you sign or it's time to uh, try your luck elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, and I, and I think like if we lost him, we'd probably have to replace him. And it feels to me like there's more urgent ways to spend our money than that at the moment. I think you make a great point about finding a player as well. If you want to find a player, this is the stage of the season to do it. Um, you know, when there's a couple of months to go, like, listen, we hope it doesn't happen. But we might lose Erdegaard for three months. We don't know. He get a kick on the on the ankle on on Sunday, and that could be it. And we might need someone there, and it might be him. So, like these things, they can change quickly. And and if that is the case, then yeah, I'd rather that like Smith Rowe wasn't growing roots on the sub bench. Um, Paul, one of the the other interesting things I want to zoom in on from the Nottingham Forest game. Um, on the instant reaction, Clyde was talking about how these games wreck your brain a little bit against these deep blocks because it's actually very difficult to judge what's good and like how far is it just really, really difficult and nearly every team struggles with it most of the time. Um, but I guess if you zoom out, we've played two deep blocks. We won 5-0 and 2-1, which if Man City had done it, we'd probably look at and say that's about par. But obviously we're not Man City and we have had issues with this. But I wanted to talk to you, Paul, about Gabriel Jesus in that context because I was in the away end on Tuesday night and I gather a lot of the online discourse and and I, I admit to falling into this myself during the game of just being like, oh my God, we're playing another deep block. Our number nine doesn't seem to be getting in the area enough. And, you know, you, you bring your priors into the game. But actually, when you come away from the game, Gabriel Jesus scores a goal, makes another, hits the post. Like, that's quite a good all-round centre-forward performance if you take it in isolation and you don't have all these anxieties of those three games where we couldn't score or the fact that Gabriel Jesus hadn't scored since, like, I don't know, last Christmas or something. So what, what did you take from... First of all, how did you respond to it at the time? Uh, kind of, I guess, the question of the attack, but Gabriel Jesus in particular, and how do you look at it now a couple of days remove? Yeah, look, I still, I'm generally of the more annoyingly positive variety on this kind of thing. Uh, but I definitely share that angst that we have not, Clive hates this word, clicked um, in terms of our attacking thing. Like, 
just to just to upset myself and the rest of you. You look at Liverpool and you suddenly see something that's clicking. It just feels, and they just feel, that the goals are going to come. And we've seen Luis Diaz come back before and other players come back before, but without the goals. We've seen Jota come back, be fit or fitish, as fit as far as we can tell, and not have his goals with him. And then suddenly it seems to click. Sorry, Clive. And um, so... I don't feel that's the area of the pitch. It hasn't clicked. Like you say, do we get marks for busyness? Like it was good busy. It was, there's also something goes on with the game, like a Nottingham forest, which is, uh, you want to score early, change the game. You want to score after 20 minutes, after 40 minutes. It's also the inevitable reality that you're also stressing them, not physically, as much as psychologically, but also physically. Psychologically, their attention, the gaps get big. You often see it, that nothing's substantially changed that we can tell at the start of the second half, and the other team's different. Um, Or 60, 70 minutes into it, something, the gaps get a little bigger. You get half a yard. They've done it a hundred times. They're comfortable. You, you, you bring on an extra player. Something changes around 60, 70 minutes. So on this game in particular, um, as long as we didn't get sucker punched, I did think it was inevitable, even if it felt like a lot of the same and we weren't breaking through and like they always seem to find a way. I just think it, if I'm the coach of their side uh, in that situation, I'm thinking we're going to crack at some point. You know, that Dutch boy, his finger, the dike, like... At some stage, the boy is going to lapse unconscious. His arm's going to turn blue, and uh, and like it'll slip out of the hole, and the water will start to come through. And so there was an inevitability here, um, but it's also a small sample size. When you talk about Gabriel Jesus, in any one game, you look at any one player from an attacking standpoint, they're going to get two, three, four good looks. And you're going to say, you can't miss from there, or that's a 50-50. It's probably not. It's probably a 25%. A 15 feels like a 50-50. So it's a small sample size. You look over a bunch of games, then you got enough data. And like, he's just a little bit behind XG. So, but the, I still have that feeling that he doesn't hit as often as he should that there are good good striker types. He does get his goals, it seems, but good striker type situations, like the one where he hit the post and it's off the inside. I mean, like that's a good striker situation. Would have loved that one to go in rather than the tween, between Matt Turner's legs um, if I get to choose between the goals. so And it just gives you more confidence that you're going to take the chances you get. And like, we didn't take the chance we got, is my feeling. And then he does this great thing, goes to the byline, you know, uh, great movement, classic Gabriel Jesus, doesn't waste a second because they could have closed in on him. They, they lapsed, he got in there. Um, he's fantastic for us. He he gives the team so much, he creates for other players. But I wish he'd do the more strikery goals a bit more and we'd feel a little better about him, even if he sneaks it up in other areas and he's actually pretty close to his XG. Yeah, I, I was happy with Can that. Can I add challenge. another point? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go uh, for it. All our leading players, if I saw it right, are close to our XG. And our overall, like, we need more XG is the real answer. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, exactly. Like I, I didn't worry too much about that missed chance because I was like, ah, oh, that's like if you, you keep doing that, you're going to score. Yeah. And uh, to your point about Gabriel Jesus's goal, I mean, not to cast too many aspersions, but I believe Nottingham Forest have been trying to sign a goalkeeper all day. Um, which I'm I'm not sure what that says for for Matt Turner, who's already been dropped once this season. But um, yeah, I, I I I'm with you. I'm I'm still just not there. And Clive, you used a really good word on the instant reaction, I think, or maybe the last podcast where you talked about a squinting. And I think the reality is, it's just going to take a few games for that anxiety of the new year period to go away and we're going to have to do it a few times because it feels like palace we kind of went yeah but they were set piece goals that opened it up nice and early and then on this occasion if you told me before the game we'd play a low block we'd wear them down we'd wear them down and then like 60th minute 70th minute or whatever it was bang bang we'd score twice you'd think okay that's good. We've dominated. We've worn them down. The game hasn't opened up because of an early goal. We've actually, we've had to work for this and we've done it. And they're both really good moves um, as well for both goals. So, you know, I, I guess like how much are we just squinting here? And like, there's just no way we can be happy that we're past this. Oh my God, we've got a problem scoring goals until we do it more often. Or like, how much do you come down on the, well, you know what, actually playing low blocks like this is just really, really hard. What, what's your whole impression of like Arsenal versus the low, 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 low blocks? <laughs> and Forest have the lowest, didn't they? The good thing, we're so lucky with Twitter now, someone can send us a diagram and we can see that Forest have the lowest block in the whole Premier League. And so you compare to Palace who decided for some reason to try to press us, play high but play low. Does that mean into a back five? And of course, we scored five goals. Right? Funny that. It seems similar to Europe, isn't it? When you try to come and get us, we uh, knock four or five past you. So you can see why teams do go low. Brentford went quite low, didn't they? And um, West Ham did, didn't they? That's why we had 77 touches in their box. And so there's a method to try to stand in front, literally stand in front of the penalty spot with bodies and try to protect the area, knowing we have to come in there. We, we may not have the physical players to to execute in that area. So what does it make us think? So as fans, we then go, okay, we need a centre forward. And we do need a centre forward, I feel. But we need a centre forward that brings something else, which is a bit more physicality. Centre forward play, the way Jesus played it, and this game really showed it. And I'd love to know what the feeling was in the away end, Tim. But this game really showed it for me. There's two games. I was behind the North Bank in the West Ham game. And Jesus was struggling in that game. And funny enough, he didn't play against Fulham afterwards. So maybe there was something we don't know about injury-wise. And he was struggling. And Eddie came on, and suddenly he had two headers crashing the back post left-hand side. But when he was in that central area, mate, I promise you, he wasn't showing for the ball. And I thought, hmm, I don't like that. Forget you don't score him. you got to show. you got to show. As soon as Eddie came on, relinquished him, he was outstanding for five, ten minutes and maybe could have got us a goal. In this game, it was quite clear to me that he does a lot of his work on the outside of the box and he drives in from the outside. And his better chances all came from outside the box coming inside. And that's who he is. And that's fine. 
So what did we do? We bought Havertz, who likes to run two centre-forward. What did we ask Granit Xhaka to do last year? Run two centre-forward. What does Smith Rowe need to do this year if he wants to play in this team? Run two centre-forward. Because that guy is going to run out of that space. It's not always about being a centre-forward. It's about how you arrive into that area. So you can be five foot nine, but you must attack the box so you can get the leverage if it's in the air or you can beat people on the sprint, Gary Lineker style. Sprint into the first near post, sprint to the pitch of the ball. But you've got to be travelling. I don't want a static centre-forward that just stands there and doesn't move. I don't think that suits us, you know? That's why we're linked to Victor Ossiman. He's not static. He's a crusher. He's a presser. He's a chaos merchant. He's not static. Look at Darwin Nunes. He looks like a centre forward, but he's not static. He's He crashes. He runs channels. He kicks the ball against the post when he's three feet out. But you can't miss him. He's all energy, loads of touches in those areas. And that chaos factor, I think we need to embrace a bit more. I felt... Um, so I, I When you're watching the game, this is back to my, oh, low block, here we go. And your heart sinks and you go, okay, I wish we had a big guy there just to head it in for us. Do you know what I mean? And uh, we all go there, didn't we? That emotion, we all go there. And But then when you think about how we play and then you think about how we rotate, I, I question myself, is that what we need? An inactive totem pole. I don't think we can carry those guys. They've got to be able to move, got to be able to press. Where we're focused on is off the ball, getting it back and controlling teams and strangling teams. And Tim, I can remember us having conversations a few years ago about you not enjoying Man City. Remember those conversations we used to have? And I wonder if there's a, if there's a little bit of that happening as we get so much better at strangling people that people may not be enjoying the perfection of what we're trying to do. We literally win it back within five passes I looked at Nottingham Forest PPDA, which is fifty odd passes, right? So like, a, so we are we are killing teams like we've never done before. But maybe our heart rates are a little bit steady. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And we've had conversations, haven't we, about the atmosphere diluting a little bit this mm. season. I definitely think that's a part of it that a lot of the games fall into these patterns. Um, Paul, you wanted to add on that. Yeah, I just wanted to do some really exciting podcasting by looking at the XGs for our players. Um, Because, like, I do have the feeling players need to put the ball in the back of the net, especially the more strikery or attacking players. But overall, our XG to actual goals is pretty equivalent. Now you've got a couple of penalties stuck in there. But, like, our goals were at 43. Our XG for goals is... 40.6 so we're slightly ahead Um, so we're actually finishing slightly better Um, our non-penalty XG is 36 so uh, we've got like about four goals worth of XG in our mix Um, and then you go down to players and like they're all about on track Odegaard has a couple of penalties which boosts him or he'd be basically half a goal he's half a goal behind on real goals Um, Jesus is four goals in reality, 5.3 in XG. So, like, he is the laggard there. And it's not a huge sample size, but we see it season to season. So, there's definitely something there. But across the whole wash, uh, you know, player by player, Havertz, we gave him a free goal with a penalty. Uh, Otherwise, he's like for like. 
Eddie's ahead by a goal. Uh, you know, Trossard's on par. Uh, Gabby's ahead by a goal. Basically, they're all doing fine against their XG. They're all finishing what they should. What we really need is more XG. So all the good play, and we've seen this, we've had really good play in and around and getting into and control in the attacking third, getting into the box, lots of touches in the box, not enough good chances, good opportunities. And part of that can be the movement. It's really about what Clive's talking about, the movement, getting into positions, getting the... getting ball-meeting guy at back post of the right height mindset and kind of movement. So we we need more XG, more movement, more clicking in the final third, more clicking in the box, as opposed to guy needs to put the ball in the net more often. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, I personally, I'd like to see some of those rotations between Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Martinelli come back. Um, I think I'd go a long yeah. way to reigniting both players. And Clive, to your point about Jesus' player likes to start wide and come in. Well, why is that? Jesus hadn't played centre forward till he was 18. He was a winger. So that's what his training is. So that's what his instinct is. And I feel like we saw a lot better stuff last season when those two were rotating more. I feel like those rotations have stopped and we ask certainly Martinelli to be a much more fixed presence on that left-hand side. Do you, and I wonder think, if we do you can think do that. Martinelli to do that, Tim, or do you think he's just doing that? Because you watched a game at the weekend. Did you notice Saka coming over to the left-hand side? Yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd, we'd imagine he's got similar instructions. So why is he roaming and Martinelli not? Mm. You know, so it's interesting, isn't it? And I think I, th- I agree with you. He needs to roam. He needs to travel. If you send the fours traveling, well, you need to travel. You know, and mm. so that's if you're going. We're going to have five or eight forwards who who are sharp and sprinty. Then they need to move. You know, and they, they they can't be fixed. They can't be fixed to be kicked. And so I just wonder. We we can never tell, right? You can't say yes or no because we don't know, do we? Well, but I wonder. We are seeing ro- more rotations from Odegaard and Saka, particularly. And I would love to see mm. it for Martinelli. Yeah, and and maybe if Smith Rowe plays more, you get a bit more of rotation between Smith Rowe and Martinelli, for example. I, I tend to think maybe the reason Smith Rowe doesn't play on the left anymore is physical. Um, I know from experience when you get a groin slash pelvis issue. I quit football at 34 because I I had the turning circle of a of a man 20 years my age, 20 years older than me. So when your turning circle goes, that's that's a big thing to lose. And and may, maybe Smith Rowe hasn't lost that forever. Maybe he's getting that back. I don't know. But you know, if he comes into the team, maybe there is a bit more fluidity. I don't know. Um, but to close on the Forest game, Paul. I'll ask you a fairly short and fairly simple question, I guess. Um, not least because it wasn't hugely addressed on the instant reaction because no one had really knew it had happened until just before the end. But the And I didn't see this because I was legging it for the last train. But Zinchenko and Ben White, um, you know, having a bit of a contretemps on the field at the final whistle about the goal that Nottingham Forest score... Now Arteta comes out afterwards and says, "That's brilliant. I love that the players are holding them, holding each other to account." Sure, that's true to a degree. Um, I'm sure he also thinks privately there's a time and a place to hold one another to account. How 
how did you – we have seen this before. Was it last season Gabriel and Saliba had like a little bit of a disagreement on the pitch at the final whistle and we haven't seen any like reappearance of that or anything? Where, where do you stand on Zinchenko and White and the Lemmy Adam uh, on the pitch at the final whistle? Uh, I'd be worried if it doesn't happen. Like in isolation, was that great? Probably not. Um, but overall, I think it's good. Um, I mean, here's Ben White. We have this opinion. He doesn't even watch football. He doesn't get like he does. I mean, he's it's not what he said. He loves playing football. He just doesn't want to watch other mugs. He's got other things to do with his time to watch other mugs playing. Like the guy loves playing. He loves competing. He doesn't like uh, the other left back sucking at being a left back at times. And he decided to tell him and like, uh, Arteta's probably thinking, thank God somebody is giving somebody a bollocking without me having to give everybody a bollocking or finding a way to, like, sometimes you want somebody to get stuck in, to raise the ante, and then everybody else looks at it and thinks, well, okay, I don't want to get called out for what I do. It, like, you got to have standards and you got to be pissed off. And, like, yes, it's not the right time and the place, but they're both, look, they're both nice fellas. So it's going to be fine. Uh, good relationships is good. It can absolutely absorb it. It tells you there are, that it wasn't about a one-off thing. It's probably a recurring irritation for him and a couple of other players. Uh, I'm totally projecting here, and I got no basis for this. But they probably get a bit pissed off that uh, Zinchenko, from time to time, doesn't fall back the way he ought to when he could. And every now and then, it boils over. And like, I'm there thinking, yeah, get one in for me too. Uh, I love Zinchenko. I wish he'd full back a little bit more. And like, sometimes things will boil over. Certainly, I think it's a nothing burger. Um, I'd be worried if Ben White didn't want to, didn't feel like boiling over about things from time to time. Ben White loves football. He just doesn't watch other people playing it. That's, That's fair enough. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't online therapy. It's just therapy. I, I cannot say this enough. Just do therapy. It, it, even if it's not with BetterHelp, just do it. But I think the reason BetterHelp is such a great option is that you don't have to get in the car. You don't have to leave the house. You don't have to budget that extra time. It is more affordable. You can find someone that you connect with that works for you because depending on where you're living, there may not be a specialist in your area or you may only have the choice of a couple of therapists that are convenient, that are less than a 30-minute drive or you know that take the insurance you have if, if that's a consideration or that are affordable and then maybe you don't connect with them. With BetterHelp, you can find a therapist that works with you well if you need a specialist, you can find that. You can do it camera on or camera off. So if therapy is saying you want to sort of dip a toe in and you're like, you know what, I feel a little better with camera off to start or altogether, you can do that. So, you know, I, I think understanding that so much of life is about getting yourself into a healthy mental state and understanding how, how much harder that has gotten with social media, with all the things we're inundated with, with all of the ways that news comes into our life and affects our mindset, not just all the usual uh, things that happen in familial relationships and friendship relationships, romantic relationships and professional relationships. Therapy is, is a way to stay on track. And so I, I think it's something to do. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Become your own uh, your own. Be the the what what's the word I'm looking for here? This is one of my best uh, ad reads ever. 
I guess, become the master of your destiny in terms of where you're headed uh, psychologically. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. I'll stay with you on this, Paul, because this might be a good way of segueing off of the Forest game and into the Liverpool game. Um, you know, Zinchenko, historically, I think, has or we've started to see and Arteta has started to learn this season that bit of a 75-minute player, um, yeah. maybe. And on this occasion, there's a lapse, whoever's at fault in the last minute again. Um, where would you let's, stand? Let's just say he's an organising principle for the other team of what to do when they need a goal. <laughs> let's bang it over there. Not Is it Sinchenko's fault? We don't really care. We, good things happen when we bang it over there. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, is there a lesson learned in that maybe Kivior should have been on, on 75 minutes? Or is that wise after the event and actually we're 2-0 up, we've got about 98% of the ball, let's keep having 98% of the ball by having Zinchenko on. And I, and I guess to segue on to Sunday, how concerned are you about Zinchenko playing at left-backs? We're not going to have Tommy Asu back. We're definitely not going to have Yuri and Timber back. Uh, not sure which of those would be a bigger miracle, actually. Um, but neither of those things are going to happen. I think we can probably say that we wouldn't really want to see Kivior start this game, that none of us have seen enough um, of him at left-back anyway to say, oh, yeah, let's definitely put him in this game. We we suspect that Mo Salah won't start this game. Like, do you think a maybe we should have done our usual Zinchenko off on seventy-five minutes? And how how um, if how anxious, if at all, are you about um, another one of those Zinchenko lapses on Sunday? Um, yeah. So yeah, basically, I, like when generals draw up their 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 battle maps and they're trying to work out where they're going to attack the opposition you can imagine that the battle on sunday they'd be thinking how do we take advantage of that area because even if zinchenko does okay right we're now kind of skittish and nervous so other players either back off to defend their guy thinking zinchenko will beat or they overcompensate and overhelp him and leave an ex like you just get that nervous feeling, right? And if we have it, I suspect, <laughs> based on Ben White's reaction, and like maybe a bit of this was the psychology of going into Sunday, they're kind of keyed up that Forest was an important game to get themselves right, that the clean sheet was essential, that, and like they're pissed, absolutely. And it speaks to a sense of vulnerability within the team. It wasn't just a moment. It wasn't just, it's like, this is where our problem is. We need to fucking get it fixed. Excuse my language. Did I ever apologize for cursing before on the podcast? I don't think I ever did. I'm growing. The podcast membership and listenership is maturing. I apologize for that. Uh, but I think that's the battleground, right? They had the marauding Connor Bradley, I guess, for Liverpool. I suppose TAA may play, seeing as he made an appearance here. Uh, but uh, And each of them has a different challenge on that side to put up against Zinchenko. I'm absolutely sure that's where they're going to apply maximum pressure uh, to see if we blink and how we blink. And... Uh, yeah, he's absolutely a 70-minute player for me. He wasn't a starter at City. He was a 
uh, rotation option. They'd often play, uh, what was his name, Cancelo on the yeah. left, um, where originally he was an on-the-right guy. But, I mean, the guy could play anywhere, but they would play him ahead of Zinchenko. So he wasn't a starter for them. He wasn't a 90-minute player for them. Um, he's a fantastic tool. He's not a 95-minute player backs against the wall. I mean, it's just you get him off at 70 minutes, basically, after he's done his work and put you in a position to take it home. Um, or you bring him on at the end to do something tactical, but you have him covered by other defense by other more defensive player. You probably have a couple of solid midfielders on the uh, DM types on the pitch, and you're you got you, your numbers there, and you bring him on to to do something tactical and keep the ball and blah blah blah. But yeah, he's, you don't keep him across ninety minutes uh, if you're stretched. Yeah, and I, I think <clears throat> sometimes I think. Um, you can't get away from the character of a player and, and, and often, you know, the character of a player makes them who they are. So for Zinchenko, the fact that he's so calm kind of makes him who and what he is because he can just knock the ball about. He's happy to come into midfield without, you know, without getting nervous or anything like that. And that like 95% makes him the player he is. But it's also kind of his fatal flaw as well is that sometimes he's a bit too relaxed um, and sometimes he just lets that intensity drop a bit more. And I'm with you, Paul. If you're an opponent and you're looking at the Arsenal defence and you're looking at Ben White, Saliba, Gabriel and Sinchenko, like if you're aiming at someone, I know who you're aiming at um, out of those four. And, and and I'd include Declan Rice in that as well. You're, you're certainly not aiming at him. So, um, like yeah. One well, of the things you do in a battle is you plant a flag somewhere or you carry a standard or you have the bagpipes and it's kind of a rallying point. It doesn't actually mean it's a better place than any other place. It's just the place and everybody knows it. And basically, Zinchenko is the place that the opponent has can use as a rallying point, even if it were just as strong as the other side, um, but different. It's just like, this is easy. Here's an easy plan. Let's, let's work this. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. But like, here's our organizing principles in Chenko's side. Let's bang it over there. Now he's actually pretty good in the air. Like he's very good at certain things defensively and fullbacking, but you also know, that you'll get some change out of that if you you bang it in there, put it under pressure. Other player, you know, Gabriel will have to cheat out there. We'll do different things to compensate. So Arsenal will compensate in that area, creating space or opportunity. And Liverpool are very good. Like they're so aggressive with the running and the athleticism and the movement. And they're really good at triangles. I mean, okay, this isn't their A team in terms of triangles, but they're getting there now with Jota and Luis Diaz. Um, mm. And yeah, the, I think they'll look to exp- create confusion on that side and, and where we hesitate, they'll find a gap. So yeah, that's the battle. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what Liverpool's whole model is based on, right? Creating confusion, creating chaos, bringing the temperature of the game up and kind of making it messy and transitional. And Clive, I'm going to, I'll give you both this question really, because it's kind of a free swim question about this game. But, um, you know, we're not going to be playing a deep block in this game, that's for sure. Um, Could this game maybe suit us more? And I guess more to the point, we've played Liverpool twice recently, like in the last five weeks. So both teams know each other pretty well at this stage. What 
can we learn from those games against Liverpool recently to take into this game and how relieved are you that we're not going to be playing against 25 Liverpool defenders in the box? <laughs> I think um, the Liverpool game in the cup, I think was the, the first turning of the new page for me, uh, tactically. And so what I think we've done a little bit more, and I saw it for myself versus Palace. I'm not sure if you felt it uh, in the stands, uh, um, Forrest Tim, but we tend to be attacking a lot more on our left-hand side than we have done previously. And so by that, the way you control your defensive weakness is by having your offensive distances on that side be a little bit tighter. So you've seen Odegaard come over onto that side. Rice is already sort of in the middle, but he leans toward the left. Zinchenko's on the left. And so we're building up in smaller passes on the left-hand side. Jesus comes out to the left. We draw everyone over to the left-hand side, and then we switch the point of the attack. So in the end, you've heard me use the phrase game model. I don't like using phrases without trying to explain what that actually is, right? So a game model, you have four phases of the game. You have organized attack, what you're doing in your attacking shape. Organized defense, which I think is Zichenko's weakest part of the game. You have defensive transition, and you have offensive transition. What do you, what do, you do in those phases? And you build your training plan around those four areas. I think if you look at Arsenal right now, I think we've worked very hard on our organised attack to be slightly less extremities on both sides, trying to, and then everyone knows where you're going and everyone just shuffles over. I think we try to be a little bit more relation and relationism-wise on the left-hand side to then switch the point of the attack. It's funny how Saka's output's gone up a lot more and he seems to be beating his man a lot more. Why? Because he's not always doubled. Why? Because they're attracted over to the left-hand side. What's that do for you as well? It protects Inchenko as well in front of him. So I'm seeing a difference here. I'm seeing them try to address problems. When a team literally sits on a six-yard box, it's not so clear. But Palace, it was clear, because I kept thinking, what has, what has Saka done to upset everybody? Why is he not getting the ball like he always does for first 20, Tim? And um, and I, I definitely you know, I definitely saw it versus Liverpool. And finally, it was Reese Nelson that showed me it, really, and, and Odegaard's movement. And so I can see us moving more towards this. And I like it. I like it. Because if we can get Saka into those situations more often, feeling he's really inputting the team, whether he drops deep to build, whether he stays high to drive inside, I don't mind. If we can just make sure he's freed up, if that means maybe he's not so parted up with Odegaard, do you see what I mean? Because everyone knows he's going there. And then we can build on left-hand side. And I think Smith Rowe is part of that evolution. I think Havertz will be part of it. I think we've, we've seen Trossard out there. So where are the changes coming? They're coming out left-hand side. And maybe different skill sets are required in in the game. So I think where did Liverpool's best attack come from? Their right-hand side. So you can see if we load left, you see what happens there? We block that side and we need to get pressure on the ball to stop the entry pass into our back line. So that's, that's, that, for me, would be the game plan. How can we pressure their right half of the pitch, make sure Saka has a second detail, which is to stop Van Dyke doing those big diags. So he has to come off the right and be one of our best defenders to make sure when Van Dyke gets it, you go for him, regardless of what happens. And if if, they, if Joe Gomez wants to be the split, the guy that splits our defence, we'll take that. Do you know what I mean? We'll take that. But you've got to stop those diags from Van Dyke. So... I'm really looking forward to this game, Tim. I, I really am. I We went to Anfield last year, 2-2 all. 
we never controlled that game for maybe 50, 50 minutes. We were all hiding behind the city, weren't we? When time for this year, we drew two all, and they were fairly glad to see the final whistle. It was like a, okay, we're both quite good sides. Bit of respect we got for the first time, I feel, Anfield. Cup game, let's be honest, we should have won the game. We kicked our own net first. I'm not sure they wanted to win it even. You know, we should have won the game. We were way better than them. We just blew it. And um, they're going to come to this game, and we're going to control them. We're going to control them again. It's what we do during those control periods. And I, I won't go on too much long, because I do want to talk about control and how we're doing it. But I don't think we're seeing our team, because we're controlling teams we've, like we've never done before. But we're focused on the, the last action, and we can't see our improvement, because the last actions are not going in enough to see where we actually are. So we need some of that to happen on Sunday. Then I think we'll see the other parts that we've improved this year that we're not quite focusing on the moment. Yeah, that's really well said. And, and Paul, um, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a free swim question, but maybe anchor it to something a bit more specific about the lineup. I mean, I think coming into this game, we can probably all pick the back four, um, largely through a lack of choice um, and depth as much as anything. We probably know what the front three is going to be as well. Maybe Trossard gets in there, but otherwise I think definitely Saka and Jesus will be starting unless there's an injury. We know Rice and Odegaard will start um, if they're fit. So it kind of really it comes down to that left eight position again, which nobody has nailed, totally nailed this season. And I wonder what you're expecting from this game because Clive referenced the cup game. We started Havertz up front on that occasion and put Nelson in behind. I'm, I'm sure we're not going to do that this time. And I'm sure there's a degree to which we were saving Havertz for this game. But do you definitely think it'll be Havertz or or could you see Smith-Rowe starting again, Trossard starting there? Like, how, how do you think Arsenal will shape up for this game in terms of lineup and approach? I mean, my guess is going to be Havertz here. Um, he's the most too much for Smith Rowe at this point. That that would be quite the change in responsibilities and trust. Um, Trossard isn't midfieldy enough. He can get run over, run past, and this is going to be very physical, athletic, uh, potentially running Liverpool team that you got to run with. It Shabashlai. Um, those kinds of players powering forward, you need to be able to run with them. And I think Havertz, like Havertz is a bit hit and miss. He's really good at certain aspects, nicking the ball, the telescopic leg. Uh, he's good at the shirt pull. He's good at the rolling over, getting free kicks, which are actually all useful. Um, but he can also be a bit kind of light in that, you know, I had my go light in the tackle, got run past. So it's definitely a choice to be made. I do wonder if there's the Jorginho Rice option in midfield and use a little more Jorginho control craft and give Rice kind of the roving midfielder. Not that he's necessarily sitting, sitting deep, but he's free to chase the action and win the ball. So I could see that one and we just trust, we keep it a little closer to Jorginho and we, we trust the, the trade off there. And that gives Rice ability to cover for Zinchenko, who's going to be, in a fairly similar area of the pitch, but Rice can then compensate behind, in and around him, run with Trent, 
run with whoever on that side. So I, I definitely see mileage in this one. I think it's the, the encouraging thing recently, even though we haven't been necessarily totally clicking in the box with finishing the obvious striker kind of situations is we've had good chance and good success success at the kind of counter-attacking or the kind of turnover. Suddenly there's some open play and some open space and we run, we capitalize, we put the ball in the back of the net. Um, and I think there could, you know, we're not going to have to thread the needle on this game. They're not going to be that deep in their box. Um, and so they're going to be more, the kinds of goals we've been scoring recently are the kinds of opportunities I expect us to be getting in this game. Yeah, I, 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 Clive, if you want to come in on that, I, I think the Jorginho Rice, that, that's a really interesting one. And Clive, I was going to come on to you on, on the midfield and what you think it will look like. But um, yeah, go for it. No, I, I, th- I think um, for myself, I, when Paul said Jorginho Rice, I went, hmm. But I tell you what I've been doing in the last couple of days. I've been listening to, um, I don't know if you've seen this, it's a, it's a BBC show about Pep Guardiola and his history at Barcelona and how he and how he developed his career there. I've been listening to that. And when you listen to that, and I've listened to some Joan Croy stuff as well, you can you can see clearly why Arteta bought Declan Rice. I mean, he is that Busquets guy. He is that guy, you know, and he will be that guy for us. And I umdenard if he's going to be an eight or a six, but actually he is that guy. So I see Rice staying there and and that's going to be his future for us. If I'm, from a change perspective, I would play Havertz and I would play Trossard. And I would just put those two guys in. I love what Martinelli did in the cup game when he came on late. I love what he did against City when he came on at halftime. I think at this moment in time, he could be a massive impact for for us. I don't think his confidence is right at the top of the house to start. I, I, he he would do fine. I can hear people saying, "Yeah, but he always does well against Trent." Well, we can do we can control the ball and then bring him on to murder Trent late in the game. Do you see what I mean? And I think having that extra pace—that's what Liverpool do. They bring on Gakpo, they bring on people like that, they bring on Jota who didn't start, and they give you another problem to solve. And that's what we've got to have that comfort as fans that we can we can beat teams twice if we have to. You know, and I think this the way what Klopp is very good at, very good at, is understanding what the game is sending him, telling him sorry, and making a change. Way better than that smile is telling you. He's very, very smart. And so we need to have weapons on the bench that we can react to anything and cause him a problem. So I will start at Trossard and Havertz, and I'll be using Smith Rowe and Martinelli as forward impacts. And the Georgina one, I love that idea, and I wouldn't be against it, but I, I see him as a closer, like we like we use him on Tuesday night to just calm a game down towards the end. Yeah, Smith Rowe, your power up. Georgina, your power down from the bench. Uh, Paul, we're going to lose you in one minute, so I'm going to just ask you a pretty straight question on this game before before we say goodbye. Is this must win, must not lose in terms of the title? How are you? If Arsenal lose, do you think the title's kind of gone? Um, so obviously it's not because numerically all sorts of and in reality anything can happen but yeah I think like you kind of got to think it is feel it is it kind of is it kind of is you definitely got to think it is Um, we are 
they were better than us for a long time. We were better than them last year, but didn't play that way against them. This year, we are have been better than them, I would say, when we play them, but not across the league <laughs> because we're missing that final piece. So it's they will be looking to come out of this having proved the point that they're that this is their season and then it's them versus city we got to take them out we this is a they'll be put it another way they'd be happy with the draw mm. we can't be happy with the draw um and i think we got to walk out of this one having knocked them down and put them back in their place if we can do it i think that's essential for our season now of course we can recover it and of course they could recover they'll still be whatever a couple of points ahead um but yeah it's basically i think you look back at seasons and this would be the game you'd look back in this season and say oh okay that's where the title race emerged yeah um we owe them one um we paul we have to lose you um yep. you can follow paul on twitter at poznan in my pants thanks very much paul Woohoo! And Clive and I will continue for a few minutes more. Um, Clive, first of all, uh, probably a pretty short one just on how you expect Liverpool to line up, really. Um, obviously, mm. they've, even without Salah, they've got forward options. Like you said, Gakpo came on, Jota as well, and, and Nunez and Diaz, and they, they were doing lots of swapping. I'm still not sure I could tell you who was playing centre-forward. Um, but let, let's kind of focus on the injuries. I mean, a little bit like us and Thomas Partey, and all of a sudden he's pictured back in training the day Ghana go out of the AFCON, <laughs> the day Egypt go out of AFCON. Uh, there's Mo Salah <laughs> on the training pitch at, at Melwood. I mean, to be fair, he was in his trainers, I think, so it, that didn't look like full contact training to me, but do you suspect that there's any like Trent came on right last night against Chelsea and that that I think is a fairly sure sign that as well as Connor Bradley has done that that Trent will start this game and we'll have to make peace with that but what about Mo Salah do you think are you expecting to see him in the squad or do you take Liverpool at face value that that he's unavailable I I think he could be available and I actually don't mind if he is honestly I don't because sometimes when big names arrive in your team, what happens? You get comfortable. They think, oh, Mo's back. Everything's going to be all right. But is he really back? And we we have to work him. And sometimes it's better the devil that you know. you know, And we know how he's going to play. Uh, again, going back to the Anfield game, I know he scored that specific movement. And it was a great goal. Can't deny it. But I didn't. I didn't feel the same fear as I used to feel with Mo Salah, where you felt you could score at any minute. <laughs> I, I just don't feel that fear anymore with Liverpool. And if we get beat five 0 on Sunday, then you can clip this up and send it to me. <laughs> but, um, but I just don't feel that fear. I think we're really good at controlling football matches, and um, it's, been, it's something I've been thinking about. I just I'm, I'm looking at what what's happened, what's changed, why, how have we become so good at getting the ball? away from people and having that mindset so they cannot even keep it. And it's, it's a constant thing throughout the whole season. And it, it's it's something that it's definitely, it's sometimes the way you attack is, defines how, the way you defend. I can see a definite change in, in emphasis, in mindset, to the point where 
I think we can go to most teams in the world. I, in fact, I don't fear any team from a from a how we play them perspective. We may not win the game, and we got mm. we got beat by Fulham the one time we didn't play this season. Really, we may not win the game because we don't quite have the rubber of the green. Anyone can lose a game, you know. I think um, the Palace draw at City. I think it was the other, the other week. And Forest have taken points of City. I mean, we watched Forest the other day. We can't believe they could take points of City. How can you do that? You know, and um, they beat us last season. So you, you, you can't win every game. But I think we're set up to compete at the very highest level. And I, I didn't feel that last year. I thought that we were really, really good. But were we really, really mature and structured to manage the biggest games? If we have to go to the Bernabeu this season, if we have to go to Bayern Munich this season, I think we have a way of playing that can survive and thrive in those arenas. And I didn't. And I, I, the, the worrying thing is, when I say that, people are going to say, hey, I'm not too sure. And the reason why I'm not too sure is we're not quite creating the quite high-quality chance and we're not quite taking enough chances at the right period of the game for us. That's the only thing. If you add the four points we dropped against Fulham, we'd be talking differently about this team. Significantly mm. differently. And it? it's frustrating. Um, maybe we're learning about where we need to improve. But while we're so focused on where we need to improve, I don't think we are seeing where we have improved. And I yeah, think we're taking yeah. that for granted. What was yeah, the, what was yeah, the vibe was. like on, on Tuesday, Tim? What was it like, the vibe in the way in? It, I'm really keen to know, because obviously I know they're good days up there, but I was really keen to know. <laughs> It's it's weird. Like these games, like they're boring <clears throat> for a start. Yeah. There's not there's not a lot to get excited about watching attack mm. v defense, particularly in the first half when it's all up the other end and you yep. all, all you can and your perspective is muddled. And actually, you don't need perspective because what you think you see is what you see, which is yeah. a row of eleven red shirts and then like. A, ten guys who look like they're in steward vests running around them. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty difficult to get really keyed up and create mm. a big atmosphere. There was little bits of, and and I felt this too, little bits of anxiety, like oh, I've got to move the ball quicker and all of that. Yeah. But actually, we because it was up the other end in the first half, none of us had a good enough view to say for anxious. sure what we yeah, should yeah, yeah. be doing. Because yep. like your perspective's all gone, and then in, in the second half we score twice. But I'd, yeah, I'd say like the conversation at half time. I mean, if I had a penny for every time I heard the word striker, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd, I'd have been able to buy a couple of pints. But um, <laughs> but like it wasn't like it wasn't like truly angry or frustrated. It's just those games they do, they don't they don't set your heart rate going, and it was no. it was so obvious so early as well like i think everyone expected that the game would be a bit like this but like forest really went to another level of yeah. low block in this game and like the home fans i didn't hear a peep from them all night really um because like they can't get excited watching that either because it's just like well what are we going to do? We're going to bash the ball to Chris Wood on the halfway line once every 15 minutes. And like, Nothing we're not going to score doing that. So like when, when you fall into a pattern of, right, we're probably not even going to score because we're not even trying to counter attack. So we're hanging on for a nil nil. Like, yeah, like I, th I feel like there's a distinction between we're kind of going for nil nil, but if we can break and make it one nil, whereas for me, Forrest was just like, we're playing for nil nil. 
and yeah. and that's kind of it. And yeah, it, it made for a pretty flat atmosphere, to yeah. be honest. But as someone who's like the last train back to London left like half an hour after the final whistle, and it's like a twenty-eight minute walk. Oh wow! To <laughs> to Nottingham so you, Station. You your so toes in, basically, <laughs> I was. I was re- I was like I'm going to leave when the board for stoppage time goes up and then Forest score and it's like oh god I've got to stay now so you've got like the double anxiety going on so I really didn't appreciate that um, exactly but that's yeah it was it it was flat but not for any other reason than the game was was rubbish I, said, um, I was going to say I said on the IR I'm not upset with Arsenal I'm a bit more upset no. with seeing these games too often. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You can see him coming, can't you? And you think, oh, I've, I've been so excited about this game. And here we are again, attack versus defence drill. Do you know what I mean? And we're yeah, now yeah, killing yeah. someone because he hasn't shot. Do you know what I mean? And I do it. And you know, so yeah. It's not fair, really, and, is it? And it's not fair. I, I went and watched exactly the same game on Sunday, Clive, with the women, because yeah. it was yeah. exactly the same. They did exactly the same, scored twice in the second half, and yeah. it was 2 0. They didn't concede a silly one at the end, 2 0, and it was all right. But I watched exactly the same game twice, basically. There seems to be too many of these games in the Premier League at the moment. And I, because we haven't played in January, I've had a good look around to watch other games, and that we're not the only ones in this situation. And I think it's down to coaching and how you defend. You defend by distances and teams are really dropping in and waiting, falling over, getting a free kick and then resetting and then going out again. They're not letting you run into zone 14, not letting you run to a penalty spot for free. There's going to be people there. And this is just a, maybe it's just a product of coaches and a trending coaches and it works. It does work if you're that team. It works, I'm afraid. So we've got to come up with different strategies. Diag to the back post, inverted crosses. You know, I'm talking about Tim dashing, but arriving into the box. We've got to find strategies to beat this because it's it's not going away because it works, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to close, the the fact that we're saying this an hour and five minutes into the podcast probably says a great deal, but it is transfer deadline day. I think we've all known for some time that nobody was coming in. In fact, when Arteta talked about it um, before the Forest game, he was already talking in the past tense. So I, I think it's been very clear for a while and we've known the mood music and it's the mood music for the whole Premier League, right? At the moment, this is, you know, the profit and sustainability rules three-year grace period has ended. The tabs are being called in at the bar and nobody's buying a drink anymore. So yeah. I, I think we all understand a lot of the context around Arsenal not bringing anyone in. Um, and we've got like youngsters going out on loan on deadline day, which is usually what happens anyway. Um, we've managed to, it looks like we've managed to bravely resist all of the interest in Cedric and oh, hold yeah. on to him, um, for, which is a, a huge boost for the last couple of months of the season. Are you, I mean, obviously, like I said, the mood music has been there for a little while, but if someone had told you on, I don't know, December the 30th, that we weren't going to bring anyone in, w- would you have been surprised by that? The only thing I thought, the thing I thought, I'm not sure I was good English, Steve, see why I don't write. <laughs> the only thing for me I thought we could do was get a, a versatile fullback. And that is just to allow cover at centre back. Because we had a, a fullback and play left and right. Zinchenko, we know about his legs. Tommy Asu, we knew he was going to be absent, and he's not the f- most robust person in the world. 
him, but I don't want to even think about him this season. I thought a versatile fullback that's more attacking, like an overlapping fullback that brings us something we don't have. I was thinking we could do something like that because then Kivio could become our, a centre-back cover and Ben White could be a centre-back cover. So we, I think we have six active defenders for eight spots at the moment, I think he is. And that's two down. So when Arteta's talk about the thin, the thin squad, he's talking about that there. He's worried about mm-hmm. that. You know, those guys are fit, touch wood, but he's worried about that. We saw Ben White running around with strap-ons, strapping, strapping, sorry, uh, not strap-ons, strapping. <laughs> we saw an interesting running... tactic. <laughs> exactly. Um, so basically we saw him running around and it, it didn't work, did it, until the Dubai break, right? So, um, so yeah, we need to keep those guys fit. That's the only thing I would see. Um, we, we know the rules. The money is going to be available in the summer. It's not going to be available now to get the dream strikers that everyone seems to want. No one's doing it, right? So um, the biggest transfer of the day is Lewis Hamilton going to uh, Ferrari in 2025. <laughs> I think that's the biggest story of the day, really. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think ideally Arsenal would have wanted, uh, you know, that that kind of fullback uh, cover that you that you talked about or that versatile fullback cover. I'm sure that's what they wanted above everything, knowing that, you know, in attack, we're talking about ceiling raises, not floor raises anymore. Yeah. I feel like Jorginho and Trossard might have been the last floor raising signings and now we're in, we're looking in a different category and that doesn't tend to happen in January. If you look over the history of January transfers, it's actually quite miserable. There's 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 not that many <laughs> yeah. that look really really brilliant because and it's not just about you know teams tend to shop in January when they're a bit desperate, but also you got to look at why are players available in January. For players available in January, it's usually because they're surplus to requirements and. Yeah. You know um, that, that it, it's never been a great month to shop, really, over and above the kind of more opportunistic stuff. But yeah, I, I'm I'm not terribly surprised that Arsenal couldn't find someone. I, I think what they wanted and what they could do was were probably too far apart. And like I said, I think we can see across the Premier League that that, mm. that that's the case that people are skirting towards these these kind of. Um, these profit and sustainability rules, I think one of the unfortunate byproducts of that is it's encouraging teams to sell academy talent um, rather than nurturing it. And I wonder if they'll, you know, they consider that a bit of a loophole that they might want to close yeah. somehow through regulation at some point. And we're seeing some some youngsters being sold. And I think James Benj would point you to an article he wrote today where he's talking about why Arsenal are selling rather than loaning. Um, youth players at the moment, like a lot of like a lot of teams are. Um, so yeah, that that's really the only activity it looks like that's happening around the league. So what we have is what we hold for the season, yep. and I think you're right. We're we're potentially walking a bit of a tightrope, but Tommy Asu will be back at some point, and that's you know that, that will hopefully be pretty major, and hopefully he can stay fit as well because I wouldn't mind betting baked into the equation of wanting another kind of versatile fullback is the fact that we're kind of relying on Zinchenko and Tomiyasu both staying fit 
Um, and that's, you know, history tells us that it's a bit risky. That's, that's not a safe <laughs> we got, exactly. We've got Cedric, mate, so don't worry too much. Don't worry yourself too much. Um, we've, we've clung on to him. We've um, really clung on amid all of those Turkish clubs that were definitely very, very interested and that was racing, not fabricated. Racing. <laughs> They're not racing in the right direction, mate. <laughs> so I go, so no, yeah. that, you know, that, that might be the kind of race that I could get involved in nowadays, um, to be honest. Like, I'm, I might even win it. Um, dodgy hips and all, but there we go. Anyway, I think that's about all we've got time for on this episode. Like I said earlier, we've got the Clive Director of Football episode on Patreon, and I will have a bash at that some point, probably next week. Wouldn't hold your breath on that one because um, my my brain doesn't do structure and spreadsheets and things like that. But that actually might make it probably make it more fun for the listeners. It won't be much fun for me, but um, obviously we'll have uh, an instant reaction as well on Sunday after the game. I am. Pretty pretty sure Elliot will squeeze something in somewhere because every time he says he's not going to do one of these podcasts, he listens to the podcast, his brain starts going and probably about two o'clock on Saturday morning, you'll get a 25 minute Elliot monologue on Patreon. So um, that's, that's not planned at the moment, but I'm sure it's coming. Um, but until then, thank you very much for listening. Thanks so much to Paul and Clive. Thanks very much to my voice for just about holding up um, on this. This is the biggest examination I've given it. Um, and it's, you know, it hasn't Tommy Asu'd on me yet. So um, we will speak to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool 0.